Good day to all and welcome to the Friendship News Hour. Today is May 14th, 2021. My name is Frank Huerta and I am joined today by Alex Kenzie. Hello, son. <laughs> What's up, dude? My, I just got back from the gym. I kind of just rushed in here. So pardon the sleeveless. Oh, I couldn't uh, tell. Casual look. <laughs> Sleeves ran away on me. Got to, uh, they burst Yeah, it I can tell. Yeah, mine are a little short. Yeah. <laughs> Dance. But I'm good, man. I got some news cool. galore. Uh, yeah, a lot to get to today. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we do, uh, we should talk to you about what is fueling today's podcast. Frank, drinking a good cup of smooth coffee is a treat all by itself. But when it helps American heroes like veterans and first responders, it's that much better. Gun Barrel Coffee is proud to donate $1 from every item purchased to veterans and first responder charities all across the country. We are proud to have them as a sponsor of our show. From their medium blend, the Moab, which I've been drinking, mother of all beans, which has extra caffeine, perks you up, real nice, uh, to the Double Dark, which is the Battleship Roast, and they even have their own CBD-infused blend called the Medic. Uh, all their coffees are very, very smooth without like that acid and bitterness that you get in some coffees. Uh, they offer 14 different blends and roasts in which you can get whole bean, ground, or single-serve like K-cup pods. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Sal and Michael and uh, Brian have uh, sort of united uh, under their love of coffee guns, freedom in America, and have packaged that all into uh, some delicious coffee beans. I am drinking the uh, the Space Force uh, delicious coffee and uh, really fresh. I mean, you could tell as soon as you open the bag, um, the beans are nice and shiny. They look like they were just roasted not too long ago. Uh, and you can taste it in the coffee too, when you brew it. So, um, you know, we're, we're happy to be a part, uh, uh, partnering with them. They donate a portion of their proceeds to organizations that support people who serve and, uh, those who protect and those who defend our rights at home and our freedom. So, um, yeah, we really like gum barrel coffee. And you can enjoy the delicious coffee yourself right now with an extra discount. If you use code FNH10 right now at gunbarrelcoffee.com, you'll get an extra 10% off. And they will still be donating money to all these charities. So you're, you're still doing a great thing, supporting a great cause. Gun Barrel Coffee, damn good coffee, damn good cause. To the show. So much to talk about. But I think we should start with yesterday's news from the CDC. Yes, and they told us that we don't have to wear masks anymore um, outside in large gatherings or indoors if we've been vaccinated. That may not come as news to many of you guys, um, or you might be just saying, "Yeah, I know," <laughs> um, or this may be a rejoiceful moment for some. I think the response to this news um, and where it lands in your in your head, in your heart, can, can kind of describe how this pandemic has affected you personally in your community and where you live. Um, you know, I had somebody close to me who I was talking to recently say that when they got the vaccine, that they had it felt like they had a 20 pound vest taken off of their back Hmm. and they felt safe, which came as such a surprise to me because I never felt that scared at all about this pandemic. It affected me 
and my health in a minimal amount. I don't know. Is the same story for you? Uh, yeah, for me, not much concern at all for, you know, moms, grandmas around me, definitely, definite concern, especially at the beginning, you know, when, when it, the hype was real, but, um, for myself, not at all. I'm, I'm a, you know, late twenties, pretty healthy guy. So, you know, never have yeah, really and, been and, that and, scared by it. Never been really that <sighs> worried about a lot of it, but I just, you know, tried to play my part, help the fellow man during this last year and, and, you know, just kind of do what we had to do to get through it as quickly as possible. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, and the person that I was speaking to was, was in the age group, I guess, of concern, something that would con concern them, um, highly, uh, it would be getting the coronavirus. So it was very interesting to hear that perspective. Cause I, I had never felt that way. Yeah. And I had, I had always kind of thought that the, response to the pandemic, maybe not initially, but the continued response was a gross, ex, uh, what do I want to say? Exaggeration. Overreaction is a better word, a gross overreaction of what we were dealing with. And as time got on, we were privy to, to data that showed a much clearer picture of how this virus was going to was going to go. There were still plenty of uncertainties, but particularly after we got the vaccine and we started to see the effects of those that were vaccinated and the initial reports of how well the vaccine was performing in the general public allowed for us to sort of in our own atmospheres relax a little bit because we knew that regardless of whatever ongoing mandates were happening from the federal government or otherwise, we understood the data. I think it was very clearly represented to us. And we even saw it a little bit in the media as, as people who normally would err on the side of caution began to ask the questions that we were all asking of the officials that were continuing to mandate things like masks and social distancing. Hey, we know the data. When can we officially say we want to relax this stuff? And it was always an unclear answer. There was never anything that was surefire until yesterday. And the CDC came out and they said that they're going to effectively end face, face masks and, and distancing recommendations for the fully vaccinated. Um, and, you know, my, my question would be why now? Like, it doesn't seem like there's any new report out, right? There's no new data that we are like looking at where it's like, oh, it's really good data. We should do this now. It just seems, it seems like we were aiming for July 4th, right? When we, when we heard Biden say July 4th, you should be able to go and have a barbecue. And we all just kind of looked at my, all right, grandpa, whatever. We're going to have a barbecue tomorrow because we understand our risk. But it seemed like it was July 4th and now it's moved up. They made the decision though, after seeing like weeks and weeks of, of data of cases just plummeting as a result of people being fully vaccinated or getting their first vaccine at least. And I think that July 4th deadline, the idea would be to announce it now so that like states and everyone can like, it's not just like today you can wear a mask wherever you want, you know, and it's going to be up to businesses. It's, it's going to be different everywhere. I know in like Ohio, 
think it's June 2nd. I think in New York, it's like June 1st. Sure. Which surprises me because New York's like a blue state. So that's, I could see like Ohio, Texas, like all these other places that's like traditionally red doing it sooner, but that's cool. It's cool to see New York doing that. So I think that the idea is like, let's make the CDC announcement because the CDC doesn't like necessarily regulate any of these states. You know, but like the CDC is our best reference to draw from scientifically. So like if they make this announcement now by July 4th, I would think most states would be like would be adhering to this mandate, you know, hopefully sooner. But like at the very latest, it just seems odd to me that the tone of all of these officials making these recommendations up until this point has been that of at at the most liberal. Hold your position. But even more than that, this this lady, uh, I don't know if you remember her saying at Jennifer Nuzzo, it was just weeks ago. It was probably less than a month, but no longer than a month ago. She got on television and she said, or on Facebook Live or something, and she said out loud, I can't help but acknowledge my own personal f- feeling of impending doom. She used the word impending doom (laughs) and like i don't care i haven't cared but it is apparent to me now that there's a lot of people who actually take these words seriously and so it just seems a little bit out of character to me that at one time everybody is going to pivot their message yeah i was just talking to sarah yesterday and i was like it's it's so funny because i don't maybe there is like a political thing behind it but like last week I watched Fauci talk about this and about like how we're going to be wearing masks and yada, yada, yada. And then yesterday he's, he, I watched an interview with them and he's talking, no, there's no reason to wear a mask if you're fully vaccinated. Like that it is a little weird. I, I don't know what the play would be, but it, the timing is really weird. It is weird. I, I mean, if, if you want to look at it from some skeptical borderline cynical lenses, you could maybe see that, things aren't looking great or at least trending great economically with mm. inflation. We've touched on inflation a bunch. It's, it's, it's here. There's no, there's no more doubt and, and you can't cast really any more doubt about the effects of inflation because they're, they're right in front of our faces. So maybe this is a way to get more people out and feeling more comfortable to go look for employment or do the things that they weren't doing before this. And, and that, that could be my only, my only thought about politically how this might be a play or, or, you know, how, what, what's the, cause you know, I, you have to imagine these things can't just come at random, right? The, we talked about this uh, not too long ago about how in the beginning of this pandemic, we were told that we didn't need to wear masks although we knew we should be wearing masks, but we thought that if we told people to wear masks, there would be a run on masks and we didn't have like that, right? Mm-hmm. So it was a, a bit of a manipulation of the, of the American public. And then the, the message shifted immediately to wear masks and wear masks all the time. And everybody put in mandates because we knew that they were effective in some capacity at, at battling this. So I, I, just, I think, that there's more to just recognizing that it's a good thing to do because we all, you know, I, I think a lot of people who can look at this rationally and, and particularly the data that, that was out about vaccines and say like, all right, well, we, 
shouldn't be wearing masks everywhere, especially outside. Like that was a recommendation to wear masks outside in large gatherings and to socially distance, even though you were vaccinated. So I don't know. I think that there's, there's something and, 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 and we'll probably find out before too long. Um, but it is good news at the end of the day, right? It's positive. It's positive news. So I, I think we should be happy about it. I, the one thing I didn't like though, is that yesterday on Twitter, Biden, he tweeted, the rule is now simple. Get vaccinated or wear a mask until you do. The choice is yours. And that see, that sounds like a threat a little bit to me, man. And that's not the case. Like, of course, at this point, talk it, about throwing gasoline on a, on a yeah, pile of wood. Like why? Like, <laughs> why did he say that? You know, you just give people ammunition to like, if, you know, talk shit to people who aren't wearing masks or ask them if they're vaccinated, you know, like, it, it, why is it's, it it's just asking business? for more like self-policing of, of our, of our, of our country. Yeah. And like, what, are we going to carry our cards around with us every single place we go now to like prove it? Like, I, I don't see how business could ask you to show your card for that. And, and, and we're at a point now, especially with the data will show, like with all these cases plummeting and most people being vaccinated. If people like we talked with Mr. Duncan last, uh, earlier this week, if people don't want to get it, they shouldn't be forced to, the president shouldn't be saying like, it's simple. You do this or it's this. It's simple. You have a choice to get vaccinated. It's readily available. If you're scared, if you're worried at all, go and get it. You shouldn't feel like like he's vilifying people that don't want to get vaccinated. And it's their choice to do so. And they should still be able to go into public. If you're vaccinated and somebody else isn't vaccinated, that's more or less their problem. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. You, you're good. You're vaccinated. Exactly. So if you fear for your safety and you're vaccinated, then where's the fear? That's a you problem. You might be upset at somebody, but if they don't want to get vaccinated, then they're taking their their health risks into their own hands. And if they want to roll those dice, what is it to you or anybody? You got vaccinated. <laughs> well, that was the point of getting the vaccination. Like that's a you problem at that point. Like you, you're covered, whether they are or not, like you're covered. If you're that scared, stay home. I think it's clear though that our leaders politically are scared of the amount of people who have not gotten vaccinated. Did you see what they're doing in Ohio? Did not, no. Dude, there's a vaccine lottery. Oh. So they're going to, they're going to, there's going to, I think it was like $5 million and, or like five $1 million prizes. I think I might be talking out of turn, but there is a lottery and they are going to use the, the voting record, um, <laughs> so they're just going to like pull a name out of the voting record. And if you've been vaccinated, then you, you win. They're trying to incentivize people to get more, to get more vaccines. Like, why the hell do you need to do that for? Yeah. That's that doesn't weird. make sense to me. Is there a giant fear of people not getting vaccinated? I, I mean, if you want to be as cynical as possible about it, you might just say that this, these moves are just so that the people who are con- controlling these things in their particular jurisdictions are trying to maintain that control and not let go of it. You can make that argument and I, I'd listen to it for sure. But, um, but it's just, I don't know. There's so many weird things going on and it, it, it seems as if you just cut through the noise, it's very clear to see that you're able to take your risks more or less in your own hands. You have the option to vaccinate and that will clear you more or less of any 
giant risks of this pandemic. And if you don't want to, you know the risks yeah. of this pandemic. It sh- I don't think it should be any more complicated than that. Do you, okay, and this is not to put like misinformation out there or take us down like a rabbit hole at all. But let's do it. Let's fucking do it. Do you give, could you see at all any kind of credibility, especially with how this is all kind of being pushed now to get the vaccine? Like this whole like new world order, they're trying to depopulize people and they're you're, they're poisoning some people with their vaccines and they're going to try to kill people. And I, I don't believe that. But with what's going on right now, it's the most like kind of maybe half quarter, 10 percent convinced I've been with how they're like pushing this vaccine and with like what Biden tweeted yesterday. The rule's simple. You got to do this or stay at wear your mask. And it's like, I don't know why that's necessary at all if there wasn't some like weird agenda behind it. Yeah. Well, if you look at what they're trying to do currently, this this administration and the, the again, you, you can't overstate that the mission right now is to rewrite how we do things in America economically and socially by allowing the government to become the biggest driver of things, of the economy, of, of, of all things that we rely on. That is what is happening. And so you could say that if the government looks more like something that you need to rely on then you're more willing to accept these changes that are trying to come so for example with the vaccine if you feel like if you can say that you vaccinated so many people then you can say well this is what we've done and the people have relied on us and and we are making this impact but if more people are just kind of blowing it off, just saying, well, I don't need you. I don't need I mean, this is a great thing. I appreciate what you've done, but it's just not for me. That doesn't bode well for you and your mission to take more control over the levers of our society. So, I mean, you could look at it that way and, and make the case that it, it would be in the benefit of the federal government for people to listen to what they have to say and follow their direction on this thing. Um, but what a weird way to go about it, right? To, to like tweet out some like ultimatum yeah. <laughs> you know, about, about wearing a mask or getting vaccinated. It, it, it certainly seems like, uh, not, not the best way to, to go about it at all. I mean, it, se- it seems more forceful than anything. Speaking of forceful of you, uh, been watching what's continued to go down in, uh, over in Israel and Gaza. Oh Yeah. Shit's getting crazy. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, show it to you right now. This is why you got to watch our YouTube people. He's pulling the clips up right now. Yeah, man, there's been some crazy videos come out. Um, this first one we'll see is actually from the Israeli Defense Forces. So they, the official Twitter account um, of the Israeli Defense Forces put out this video. This was on May 11th, so Tuesday, which I don't know what time that is in Israel. But as we, as we play this video, let me turn this down. So what you're seeing is you're seeing rockets from the East showering down over the night sky in Israel. And then what you're seeing also from the West is a bunch of squiggly, like smoke lines, like trails go and meet the 
the light from the east in midair and there's an explosion. And if it wasn't under such dire circumstances, it's actually quite a beautiful scene. But essentially it's rockets coming from Gaza and it's rockets from Israel meeting them midair and colliding with them as to neutralize the rocket threat. Um, and we have one more video here. This is a rocket from Israel going to a 14 story building in Gaza that was known by Israeli defense forces to hold, um, some high up officials of Hamas. So what we just saw was two rockets hit dead on the bottom right corner of a 14 story building and it just took out a third of the building. And as the video continues, big plume of smoke, there's a guy like can't be more than like 300 yards from this. And then rockets hit the other side of the building at the bottom level and just level this 14 story building. Um, So it is not good, man. Nothing, nothing good about that. But I did want to talk a little bit about this Iron Dome, this this thing, uh, this defense system that that Israel has has implemented, um, and it's been in service actually since 2011. I guess this is m- more press than it's gotten in a long time. Um, but before they had this Iron Dome, the prevailing thought of um, defenses around the world is that it's impossible to have a missile defense system like they do, like they made. And basically they said, well, we're a landlocked state. And so we need to figure out something because before this iron dome, it was just bomb shelters. Right. Mm. And so what this is, 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 is just this, like, think of, Think of like, if you've ever seen a, like a big firework display box, like it's a big box that just shoots up fireworks. Like you might see on the 4th of July, if like a city is putting on a show, Mm -hmm. right? So it's like that, but it's much longer. It's a big, long rectangle and it's sat up on a platform and it's like tilted, right? And it's like pointing towards the sky and wherever they control this from remotely, they have honing technology. So when they see rockets coming into Israel, they can actually determine which of those rockets is going to hit a populated area and which is going to hit something that has way less of a threat. So they can mitigate what rockets they have to shoot down. And then the ones they find that they have to shoot down, they launch them, they meet them and they intercept them in midair. They explode and neutralize the threat. Um, So there's, that's cool. it, it can protect 150. It's really cool, man. It can protect 150 square kilometers and it protects about a million people in Israel. Wow. And, um, one of these interceptor rockets costs about $90,000. So there were, there were 1700 rockets, Jeez. uh, fired into Israel this week, just this week, 1700, uh, and they shot down 90% of them. So that'll give you just a l- little taste of how much that costs. Um, and 
and yeah, and and so um, it's been more or less a success f- for them. Um, so much so that America actually is going to build one here in the United States. Um, Raytheon, uh, if, if you're not familiar with Raytheon, they're a big government contract here in the United States. And they're going to they're gonna partner with this company called Raphael in Israel who built a, a, the Iron Dome there. And they're going to they're gonna build one here in, uh, in the States. And um, you can make the case that this defense system saves more lives in Palestine because if you can neutralize the threat, your actions can be far less widespread and more concentrated, right? So like there's not a whole lot of people dying in Israel right now because of this defense system. About seven people have died so far this week. It's not nothing, but it's not like if they were to shoot those 1,700 rockets right. in the air and all all they had were bomb shelters and, mm. you know, whatever else they had to, to defend. Um, so, wow. so, you know, it's an opinion. I'm reading this opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal, and they're, they're making the case that the, this is actually a de-escalation uh, defense system uh, as well as just a missile defense system because you can target your reaction and you could actually you know, select where you want to, um, react and, and, and more or less, it's just going to be the people shooting the rockets at you. Did, did it say the article you're reading say where they're going to do it in America? Like, is that for the white house or no, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I would imagine it would be for places that are in the middle of the country that are worth defending. If, you know, we, it ever came to an escalation where people were shooting rockets into, you know, if you're on the coast, like take, for example, San Diego, it would be a, a very poor decision strategically to attack San Diego with its five different military bases. Right. And that's yeah. more or less the story all along the coasts of our country. We're very well defended in our coast. Um, and we have bases all out, the, all throughout the country, but I'm, I'm thinking of like, uh, yeah, maybe like DC or other places where Chicago is not super protected. Chicago for sure. Oh, there's a, there's a Navy base in Chicago, isn't there? Uh, North. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, how does that work though? Like, so is the dome down until it's needed and then it like just rises out of it? That's just the name it's given, but it's not a dome. It's just individual boxes that are set up and they're mobile. You can put them anywhere you want. Yeah. So for example, if you know the threats coming from Gaza, then you set them up towards the Eastern part of the city. Yeah. Okay. And then as they come in, wherever they're controlled remotely is going to tell the rockets when to shoot off if they're necessary yeah, okay. to intercept this rocket and then they guide it to where that needs to go. So it's just a, it's just a, I guess like a metaphorical name for the actual defenses. Gotcha. I, this whole time I thought it was, yeah, I dome. had the same thought as you. Like I was thinking of like uh, star Wars or something where you put a dome over, you know, yeah, or, yeah. or like Harry Potter when they were doing spells and put it over Hogwarts and the shit was like coming the in. Simpsons it movie. It just, yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So no, it's, it's, that's cool. It's just like anti-firework fireworks coming in this way and it's just fireworks shooting off and intercepting them. So like I said, if you ever get to see the video, it's actually really, really aesthetically pleasing if it wasn't acts of war. We'll post it on our Twitter, FriendshipNH, at FriendshipNH. That's really cool, man. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that it's saving lives. I mean, seven deaths is nothing insignificant at all, but 
that's it probably would be a lot a lot worse and it'd be a much more escalated situation and you know who knows other countries would start getting involved it could spiral very quickly so yeah certainly certainly man um yeah what do you what do you have for us uh have you been following what's going on with the nra bankruptcy case i heard about it briefly Okay, so it looks it's big L for them this week. Very big L. Uh, we didn't get to really report on it because we were doing our uh, COVID conversation on Wednesday, but uh, this happened on Monday, I believe. And uh, basically, like just to kind of give a little background to the situation, NRA got caught doing some stuff that they shouldn't have been doing. I'll go into more detail here, but basically, like with abusive use of their funds buying you know all the higher ups were living lives of of luxury off of the money of the NRA which is very illegal for a nonprofit to do um so on monday and basically so the attorney general in new york was taking them to court to try to get them basically dissolved because they're saying the, the corporations very cor- or the company's very corrupt organization mm-hmm. very corrupt um so on monday judge harlan hale of the northern district of texas who's a federal bankruptcy judge he dismissed the effort by the nra to declare bankruptcy and this was on tuesday i'm sorry um they ruled that the gun rights group had not filed the case in good faith and did so in order to avoid litigation by the new york attorney general uh letitia james who we just talked about with net neutrality um her office is going against them to try to dissolve the nra for like I said, misusing these charitable funds. The court finds there is course to dismiss the bankruptcy case as not having been filed in good faith, both because it was filed to gain an unfair litigation advantage and because it was filed to avoid a state regulatory scheme. So they were trying to go basically move the NRA to Texas and be tried or like have this case there. And in Texas, like the operating rules are much, much, much looser they also have like way more political support in Texas. So they would, they would have, you know, stood a better chance. Yeah. Are you a gun owner? No, I'm not either, but I know plenty of them and not, not one of them has ever brought up the NRA, like not even in like a, a show of support or that they were not in defense of them. They just didn't have any, idea what benefit that they had to them right they were just a gun owner and they loved being a gun owner but the the nra made, meant nothing to them I, I i gotta imagine that that's more or less the the attitude of a gun owner yeah i mean the idea of the the nra they've been around since before the civil war um they've been around for like forever and they're basically here to like fight for the second amendment right um you know, which as of late has come under a lot of fire. So like they, they do have a lot of support from some people, but at the same time with all this information coming out and with, with a lot of like members and people that donate heavily to the cause, finding out that they've kind of been taken advantage of, uh, they've been taking a lot of heat, losing a lot, a lot of support and it's not looking good for them. Mm. Um, and I should say like, although their headquarters technically in Fairfax, Virginia, um, they've been incorporated in New York since right after the Civil War. So that's gotcha. why this is all going down there. Yeah, um, you know, the NRA is always under fire, pardon the pun, because they defend the right to use and own weapons, particularly when it is the most contentious, right? Like after we see a mass shooting or after this, that, and the other, 
the NRA will be right up out front being like, uh, this doesn't mean you get to take away our guns. And then people are oh, well, you just support killing kids in schools or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so I get their, I get their existence or why they've lasted so long, but you know what the best defense is for a second amendment? Um, our cities and states allowing riots to occur <laughs> in the streets of your hometown. There is no better defender of the right to own a weapon than seeing that happen. So as far as I'm concerned, at least in the here and now, I think the NRA is kind of moot, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know that they do more good than they do harm, particularly when you see this. You know, how many times have we seen somebody file for bankruptcy for the wrong reasons, right? Donald Trump comes to mind. 50 Cent comes to mind, right? These guys are just getting out of their situations in a clever way. Well, and they got called out on it during the trial. Uh, the NRA said they had plenty of money to pay back its creditors, even though they're filing bankruptcy. Uh, yeah, see. They declared bankruptcy. They said this in court for a tactical reason, which was to avoid the reach of the New York Attorney General. Um, and last year, the Attorney General sought a court's approval to dissolve the NRA, alleging a wide variety of financial misconduct, ch chiefly by their CEO, who is not very liked by a lot of a lot of gun advocates too, uh, Wayne Lapierre. Um, the testimony included examples of the nonprofit organization's tax exempt funds being used for wedding expenses, private jet travel, and exotic getaways. Um, like for, for instance, LaPierre's private travel consultant, who was paid $26,000 a month to cater to him personally, mm -hmm. testified about how he instructed her to uh, alter travel invoices for the private jets that he flew so as like to hide the actual destination of where they yeah, went yeah. and like what, what their Shit. business was. 26 K a month. Huh? That's good work. If you can get yeah. it. I was gonna say, how shitty of an organization do you have to be gun rights organization to have a judge in Texas by the name of Harlan Hale. Let me tell you something. I don't know who this guy is. He owns multiple weapons. His name's <laughs> Harlan Hale and he's a judge in Texas. How yep. shitty of an organization do you have to be for this judge to humiliate you in court for being a sh such a shitty organization and you're the NRA and you're trying to, you know, go to Texas and find safe haven in, you know, the, what might be the loosest gun uh, law state in, in America. Um, so yeah, man, I, no love lost there for me with this. I mean, you obviously very corrupt and yeah. had got lost in the sauce there for sure. And, um, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't know that they would ever do any more good than harm. Sure. And, and they're claiming they're financially stable, but you know, they're losing a ton of support right now. Uh, they, during this trial, it's come out that in a span of about two and a half years, the organization has spent $72 million on its primary law firm alone, just on paying 70, their 72 lawyers. 72 mil and, and you can't, and you can't get a a bankruptcy case going in Texas. Yeah. yeah so yeah. It, it's not looking good. Everything I'm seeing says that they're very like, this will be the beginning of the end for the NRA. You know what it becomes, whatever we'll see. Um, the judge declined to actually dismiss the case with prejudice, like throwing it out completely, meaning that the NRA could still like decide to file a bankruptcy petition in another place. Um, but Hale warned that if they do that, his court would immediately take up some of its concerns about the disclosure, transparency, 
secrecy, conflicts, interests of litigation counsel, all this stuff, uh, right to wherever this opens up, which would ultimately lead to uh, the appointment of a trustee that would oversee their organization's affairs, which I'm sure that they don't want. Mm. So it looks like this is dead. They're going to fight it out in New York. Well, good luck fighting this in court and when you have this judge's decision. I mean, yeah. uh, you might find somebody a little more friendly to you. I don't know. I'm sure they exist out there. But, um, yeah, I mean, devastating blow. It And, and you know, I, I, at the very least, the, the thing that we, you could draw out of this story is that, uh, you know, hubris is going to take you down one way or another. Um, th- there's a similar story that came out um, just this week about – um, this guy, Patrick Rose, um, Patrick Rose was the chief of the Boston police union. Uh, and last summer he got arrested on 33 counts of sexually abusing kids. Uh, it was kind of a shocking deal. Uh, yeah. wasn't expected, but, um, it's become clear over, over the time that this case came out that, that this guy, Patrick Rose sort of had this stigma to him. People knew that he did this thing and there were people that kind of helped keep it a secret. Um, so a little background on this guy. So, so Patrick Rose was a 24 year veteran of the Boston police department before he got arrested. And, um, in 95, he was charged criminally with sexually abusing a kid. And, Prosecutors dropped the case because the accuser recanted his story, quote, from the accuser, recanted the story because he was under pressure from Patrick Rose. So this guy, this police officer who abused his kid, coerced him into not testifying, right? Seems like a real good guy. Well, in 97, an attorney for the police union sent a letter to the police department saying that Patrick Rose was being um, restricted beyond his control on administrative duty because he, you know, had gone under under scrutiny for, for getting arrested. So he threatened to file a grievance. He was reinstated as a police officer, and he went on to sexually abuse at least five more minors, including when he was president of this police union for three years from 2014 to 2017, right? But there is another person that has come to light in this story. And this is where it has gained some, some new traction as of late. There's a guy by the name of Marty Walsh. You might know his name. He uh, was the former union chief of the, of, the, uh, of the Boston Police Department. He was a former mayor of Boston. And he's the sitting secretary of labor in Joe Biden's cabinet. So why does he come up? Well, there was an effort to gain some files from the city of Boston by the Boston Globe in, in connection to this 1995 charge, this criminal investigation of Patrick Gross. And at the time, uh, Marty Walsh was the mayor of Boston, and he refused to release the file that they were asking for saying that the records that were contained in it couldn't be redacted in a way that would satisfy privacy concerns. And they like left the Boston globe basically on red for two months, didn't respond to anything. 
and they didn't give an, a good explanation as to why the records should remain a secret. And he got approved for secretary of labor under Biden. And then this new uh, mayor came in and released a redacted version of these files that the Boston globe was looking for. And it was so redacted that you couldn't really take anything from it. But the people who were in the know are saying that this guy went to astonishing lengths to which the Boston police department and the now departed Walsh administration went to keep, to to keep these files under wraps. Um, So it seems like this guy used his power as mayor of Boston to hide files, specific files requested in the name of privacy just until he got confirmed as secretary of labor under in the Biden administration. And then, and only then, and when he got approved by the Senate, was there some bullshit version of this, of these files redacted and then given to the Boston globe. Um, and it, you know, it just, it looks fishy. Also, he's sort of getting a pass from the media. I mean, this is a story that's well known. People, people know about this, right? The same guy who got hired under Donald Trump, labor secretary, um, his name was Alex Acosta and he got reamed by the media because he was in a position to do something more as a prosecutor in Florida to curtail Jeffrey Epstein. He might've been part of that investigation is initial Epstein's initial investigation. If you know the story of Jeffrey Epstein, he, he had gotten, he gotten arrested under charges in like 2016, maybe earlier than that by some, and, and by the help of some random journalist of, of some newspaper in Miami, I think. And she like did a ton of work to get this guy char- arrested and charged with, with, uh, criminal misconduct of, of minors and, and, and sex trafficking. And I think he was found guilty, but served probation or something. He got a really sweet deal. It was very corrupt. Uh, anyways, this guy, Alex Costa was a part of that and he got approved as Trump's labor secretary. And like I said, he got reamed by the media, but nobody is talking about how it's very clear that this guy is at the very least impeding on this investigation by the Boston globe to learn more about this piece of shit ex police union chief who abused kids. These are things that we should be asking a ton of questions about. Why is this guy in a cabinet position of the white house? Why are these questions not being asked? And you're right. If it was the other way around and there was, it was the last administration, like we already saw it happen. Like you're, you're, it'd be, total chaos right now and that that person would be getting destroyed by the media but media chooses to report on what it wants to report and how it wants to report on it and that's becoming more and more clear perfect example right right now we have got a hacked pipeline gas prices and food prices are rising incredibly with inflation and we can't get as many people as we want to to get vaccinated yeah i mean anywhere you would look in the media it would literally be fire and brimstone and a dumpster on fire and it would have an American flag over it and saying Trump's America, right? Yeah. Whatever. We know they're, we know they're stick. We know what they do. And I, I think you and I are, are, are 
are, are confident in ourselves to know what the truth is and when we're being taken for a walk. But it's the non-reporting of stories like this that nobody can get upset about because they don't know about it. Right. And if you don't know about it, you can't talk about it. You can't ask the questions. And, um, I just, I, I mean, I really hope that there's more in the story and, and, and we get more uncovered because, you know, if you helped, I don't know if there's like a law, I'm sure there is. And if there's not, there should be, but if you helped cover up some guy's sexual abuse, um, then yeah, you sh- you at the very least shouldn't be in a cabinet position in the White House. Yeah, no chance. At the very least, you yeah. probably should go to jail. Yeah. But we should find out the truth first and not a lot of people asking these questions. So um, we will certainly keep you guys updated on this because it is an important story. To touch on something you just said really quick um, before we move on, kind of back to inflation a little bit. How you just kind of said, like if Trump was in office right now, we flag over the thing burning Trump's America. Mm-hmm. Do you think like if he was like if he had got reelected and he's in the office right now and all this shit played out just like it has, do you think that he would have like handled it any better than Biden is and their administration is handling it? Or like, do you think it is just a reality of like there is a global shortage of materials? We are doing what we can for right now. Shit's going to get inflated. Like that's just a result of what's happening globally. It's not even like a how one administration or the other is handling it. Or do you think like we'd be in a better situation. Well, I think our future outlook would be a little bit more rosy because we most likely wouldn't be spending at, at the, at the rate that we are right. Mm-hmm. The, look, as, as long as the American dollar, as long as American debt is good and it's still good, we can borrow as much money as we want. Right. We're, we should not, we should be a little bit more responsible how we spend money. But the fundamental difference of if, if Trump would have gotten reelected or what we have going on now is that there wouldn't be a rewriting of this contract of America of, of how we achieve more, right? More growth, more, um, more economic drivers. It wouldn't be the government. It would be, it would be private businesses, right? As it always has been, Trump was a very, his policy was incredibly conservative from a, I wouldn't say fiscal standpoint. He spent a lot of money as presidents before him did too, right? Obama and Bush spent a ton of money too. Um, But it wasn't, it wasn't like, hey, we're going to spend the most money we've ever spent and we have justification for it because you know, clean infrastructure to usher in a new era of energy, um, you know, helping the poorest and, and the weakest of us rise up, right? Using those things as justification to spend the giant amount of money we're spending. So would things be different? Probably not, right? Like Trump's not going to be able to, you know, artificially drive down the price of produce. Um, but the future would not be massive government spending into an economy that is already at a hundred miles an hour. That would 
I, I think you would see like stock markets level out a little bit more. I mean, they've been real volatile this week and they're ending up today, but you know, it's, it, it's been rocky since about March. Um, that would be different a hundred percent. And, sure. but, but, but it's the same story there, right? All, all he had to do was tweet. That's literally all he had to do. And markets that were red that day would just yeah. go up green. He would just say something about, you know, trade deal with China or, uh, Whatever, you know, he, he, he definitely put his finger on the, on the levers of the country as, as you will see uh, Joe Biden do with legislation, but he just did it through Twitter. Yeah. I always wish like, I mean, obviously I wish COVID didn't happen, but I would have loved to see, I think that if COVID didn't happen, Trump would have been reelected for sure. Um, I would have loved to see like what that economy, our economy would have looked like after like eight years of a Trump presidency, like consecutively. Um, Cause I mean, all the numbers show that before the pandemic, like our unemployment was as low as it's been. Economy was booming. Like we were doing pretty damn well. And I mean, obviously that all took a turn when you have a national or a global pandemic, but I, I think we would have been in a pretty solid spot after eight years of a Trump presidency, whether you like him or not. I don't think you can really like argue with the stats there. Yeah. Um, I, I believe so. I am I'm, I'm a huge, um, I'm a huge believer in, in capitalism and, and the positive that it can bring about and you can have your gripes about it, but we're, you know, we're talking about like growth, right? Whether it comes from a private, industry or if it comes from the government. But the question isn't like, should we have more growth? The answer is yes, but it's like, why should we have more growth? Because like the things that we want to accomplish as a people come about through the growth of our economy. When we want to grow one industry, that means that we've opened up jobs and opportunities for all of these people. And when we allow those people to continue that tradition onward and forward, that's when you get the organic, the organic growth and, and outlook of a, of an economy in a country that was so good under Trump because he was doing it the old school way that investors know is going to allow them to continue to make money and continue to do the things that they want to do and build this country up. Will it be the same with, with Biden, maybe, but what they're not saying and what is inevitably true is that there's going to be some giant growing pains because it's, it is the sort of, you know, big brother stepping in and taking controls over everything. So will it help? I think it's to be determined. I'm not a big believer in that, but to your point, I think that if we go eight years with the policies of a Trump presidency, you know, we're, we're, we're more or less on a, on a very good trajectory. And, um, so yeah, it, it would have been, it would have been super interesting, but you know, we're, we're having to reckon with what we have now. And, um, yeah, if you want to do these things, if you want to push through these policies that spend the amount of money that we're proposing to spend, the growing pains are going to be very real. And, um, so I, I think we can expect a whole lot more of what we're seeing right now. Well, shifting gears a little bit, can I 
give props where props are due to uh, one of my favorite basketball players. Are you talking about Udonis Haslam? <laughs> I saw that yesterday, man. He, he hasn't played like all year and gets thrown out of the, the first game back right away. That was, that was yeah, awesome. Yeah, that sucked. <laughs> um, no, I'm talking in. about... Yeah, I'm talking about Russell Westbrook, man. This this dude is an absolute animal. Um, yeah, a lot of people, you know, they'll say what they want about his jump shot, you know, and a lot of other things as far as like his resume of championship success. But you can't deny the man's skill, um, and not even just for himself, like all around statistically, he's just a beast. Uh, and and this on Monday, uh, Westbrook broke Oscar Robertson's uh, record that was thought to be untouchable and stood for like 47 years um, by becoming the triple-double leader of all time. Uh, is that the, good? That's very good, yeah. For the people that don't follow basketball, triple-double is when you uh, basically hit double figures in three statistical categories. Most most of the time, it's points, assists, rebounds, but sometimes people will get steals or blocks also, so you can get a triple-double that way. Very, 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 very hard to do so. Um, to do this as much as these guys have. Just, just for reference, um, Russell Westbrook now has 182. Oscar Robertson has 181. Magic Johnson, best point guard of all time, as ranked by many, has 138. Jason Kidd, the best passer of all time, as ranked by many, has 107. LeBron James, potentially the best basketball player of all time in general, has a 99 of these. And Wilt Chamberlain, who was playing against like very inferior competition compared to him has only has 78. How many does he have? Russell Westbrook now has 182 as of Monday. How many rings? No rings. He has been to one finals and lost to LeBron. Um, so yeah, people, people will always talk, talk on him, but it's not like he's a selfish player. I mean, assists is a very big part of this and rebounds is a very big part of this. And those are both, you know, a team player is going for those boards. A team player is passing to his teammates to make sure that they can be set up for success also. So I think it's a really impressive thing because it shows that he is like a team player. It just maybe, you know, circumstance dictate. You have players like LeBron James and the people he squads up with. You have Kevin Durant and the Steph Curry's and like that Golden State Warriors. So, I mean, there's factors that play into that. I don't think championships are necessarily everything. Um, and I don't think they discredit his resume. Um, for what he's been able to do. He also did, he accomplished this feat in a hundred less games than Oscar Robertson, which is crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, it's outrageously impressive what he's done. Um, but I think it's, I think it's a testament to how difficult it is to be the very best in the world at any sport, but a team sport like basketball, where you have a guy like Russell Westbrook, who is this individually impressive, but you can't even say it's individually impressive. Cause like you said, he needs all four other guys on his team on the court to help him with these feats, right? He can score right. a lot of points. He can, he can hustle for a bunch of rebounds, but if he's not getting those assists, then he's not getting these triple doubles. And it's just wild to me that the, I mean, you're talking about a, a results-based business, right? And this guy's output in this business is second to none. Nobody does more than Russell Westbrook does from a statistical standpoint. Nobody. He is the best basketball player 
consistently over the past five years, statistically over all, over all, all categories, but he can't win championships. Mm. I don't know how to marry those two things. And I think the only answer is that it is incredibly difficult to do. And unless you're like, you know, somebody like LeBron James, who's won as many as he has, can probably account for a couple of those probably after his time with the heat for, for being to as many finals as he's been to, he knows how to get there. He understands what it takes to be a champion because he has been to that pinnacle so many times, regardless of not if he's finished or not, he knows what it takes to get there. Um, but a guy like Russell Westbrook, who is so good at what he does, doesn't get to the top ever. And it is just, to me, it's just mind blowing. It would be like in golf if, like, for example, if Bryson DeChambeau was out there smashing drives as long as he does and he's not winning tournaments. Right. Cool. I mean, you hit the ball very far. And, and that's, that probably takes it a little away from Russell Westbrook because it's no less impressive what he's done, regardless of not if, if he's won a championship or not. Um, but, you said that I don't think championships are everything. I think they're pretty damn close just because of how hard it is to win a championship. You don't luck your way into a championship unless you're Luke Walton. But do you, do you think that it makes you a worse player? I don't think it makes you a worse player, but yeah. I think the conversation can't be had about you without mentioning that. Sure. Uh, yeah, I don't think anyone's saying like Russell Westbrook's on the same par as a Kobe, LeBron, or MJ. I, they're obviously different, and that championships is a distinguishing factor there for sure. Yeah, and also Russell Westbrook is well. I can't even say that because he's been on a team with James Harden and, and Kevin Durant. But I was gonna say Kevin Durant was you know he's he's on a on on the floor with a Hall of Famer and Steph Curry and. Um, and Clay the Thompson. team surrounding him just <laughs> yeah. equally all as good um, at what they do, right? Clay Thompson can shoot a three just as good as Steph Curry, if not better at some times, right? And and Draymond is just a freaking animal when he wants to be. So you put all those people together and you're going to have yourself, you know, a really good run at a championship. Yeah, and that's what I, that's where I say, like, championships aren't everything because, like, and who the who am I? I'm just a I'm just a fucking guy. But when I say this, I I discredit those championships that like Kevin Durant won in the Warriors because it's like you you played for the Oklahoma City Thunder who were up three one against the Warriors that year before he left. The Warriors came back, beat them, went to the finals. Then you go and you play for that team. And and, and this year that the Warriors beat them, they were they had the most wins of any NBA team ever. So you go and you you join a team that came back from three one and beat you in the Western Conference Finals and who also had the best record of all time. Then you go and then join them as probably the second best player in the league. First or second. I, honestly, I don't know at that time who was better between him and LeBron. Like People will make their cases. but And and then you join up with, with Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, you know, all these guys, the, absolute machine. And it's like I, that took hard work. Obviously, they had to win the games, obviously, but like – you can't tell me that championships as well deserved as like a LeBron James coming back three one playing for the you know Cleveland Cavs versus that Warriors team or yeah, but then you'd have to discredit the Lakers winning a half season championship. You think so? Absolutely, absolutely. Look at them right now; they're falling apart. They can't keep it together. 
I don't know about that. They're just injured. And that doesn't happen when you play half a season. Uh, Half season benefits and hurts everyone equally, though. That's not the same argument to me. That's not leaving a team that was built around you to join the best team ever by NBA statistics. That's that's not the same. Like the people that got everyone was affected equally, but like they all got the same rest once the season stopped and they got to come back and they all, you know, play were playing that season. season. But they were playing that like this the first half of that season that was played. They didn't know that they were only going to play to that point. Just it's a half season though. It doesn't matter. It it doesn't matter because you're 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 playing half of the games that you played in any other season, and that is. It might as well be an entire, entirely different sport altogether because the variables of another three to four months of playing basketball before you get into the playoffs is evident in what you're seeing with the Lakers right now because they are hurt and people get hurt when they play an entire season and you got to rest them up for the playoffs. Now you're in it for the, for the grit. You're, you're, not, you're not coming off of three, four months rest and playing however many games they played in the bubble you're just not. It's a different thing altogether. So if you're going to say that Kevin Durant going to Golden State is you discredit those because of the good players you had around him, well, then you should say the same thing about the Lakers winning a half-season championship because they only had to play a half-season. Because you can make the argument if they had to play a full season, they would look like they look like right now. I think they're very different, though, man. That's such a different thing to say, though, because I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, all those teams, they played half a season not knowing that the season was going to stop. The season just ended halfway, which most players don't even play that hard for the first half of that season anyway. They start to ramp up at this part of the season. So the standings were what the standings were at that time, but then they all got you know, two and a half months, I think of rest is what it was. And then they all start this bubble where they lock themselves there for three months and, and compete. And they all come in full rested, best version of their squad that it could be. And they're cut off from their families for months. And then they go and they play, play this tournament. You're getting the best version of every team that's in that, in, in that, that made the tournament, which was, I think, I want to say 16 teams were there. So you're getting the best version of every single team with full rested squads and then you win, and you're there for like they were there for over two months. Like I, that is yeah, not as fine, easy as but winning this has a never championship happened in the NBA before. So what I'm saying is that this is more or less just some shit that they made up so that they could have a whatever season they had and a championship, whatever they had as far as the championship. But how does it benefit the Lakers over any other team? They won. They won within the parameters that they that was set before them. I'm not. I'm not discrediting that. I'm not saying it wasn't. It was easy or it wasn't difficult. What I'm saying is it. it, it there's no historical basis for any of it, and it was something that is was completely different than any other NBA championship. So you can't look at it from any at this, any any same lens and say, oh, it was the same. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same at all. It was it it was a COVID championship because they were under COVID rules and they had to change everything to make it happen. And that's what they got. They got a Laker championship. Good for them. It's going to go in the history books as a championship, as it should, because it was played as an NBA champion championship. But it was a different thing altogether. It was not the NBA championship as we have known it forever. So you, I mean, you, ha- you can't, you can't just say like, oh yeah, it was a good championship. Say the same thing about the Dodgers. I, I, even if it was the Padres that won last year, I, I would be defiant, but I would know I'll be talking shit because it's not the same thing at all. It was completely, well, yeah, it was completely different. It, it wasn't the same like a bubble, like, but there's no fans, right? How much does that affect right. things? 
an immeasurable amount, right? Especially for a home team. Well, that's what I was going to say. You could argue that it hurt like the number one seed, like a Laker and like a like a Milwaukee in that situation because they don't have home court advantage. You lose that. Like so, technically they're at a disadvantage. Yeah, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's discredited. I think every team comes in just as rested, and it's and you get the best version of every team. Yes, it was different than before, but it wasn't the best NBA t- player or the S- best NBA team ever adding the number one or two player in the league to their squad to then go on and continue to dominate. They're very different to me, and I, I think that's in my opinion why those are far more discredited. But who am I? I'm just a guy. All right. Well, that is it for us. We are over time today. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, as always, you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at Friendship and H. We are on Instagram at Friendship News Hour. And you can email us with thoughts, suggestions, comments at bummerdude.media at gmail.com. That's bummerdude.media at gmail.com. We will see you all on Monday. Have a good weekend.